0: Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 Carlson. Hoj, här kommer Carlson. Carlson Carlson, Carlson Ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson, vill jag så bra som mig Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Dollsong. Yeah. Doll yeah, Doll yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah another episode of the carlson fantasy hockey podcast the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys who are about to go into full-on begging mode as we transition to our beat writer series in the summer i am your host dylan dabrowski and with me as always is my very good friend the guy who knows everything there is to know about fantasy hockey that's right it's the Poopop prognostication the ipp mvp fantasy hockey robot himself brian calm Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Yes, here we
1: are. We have, uh, what is it, like six days plus a little more because of that Winnipeg-Seattle game that's been postponed. That's all that's left. In the regular season before we hit the playoffs, and oh yeah, we are gearing up for our Keeping Carlson playoff pool for all patrons. We'll share some details through the show about that, uh, but if you want to get in on it, check it out right away. Uh, Link in our show notes, patreon.com slash keepingcarlson. Just a buck. That's all it is. And uh, what else? Well, We're going to talk about... Like you said, we're going into full-on begging mode, Elon, which is in reference to how in the offseason we run – this is, I I think, our third offseason running the 32 beats series where we are going to try and chat about every single team in the NHL with those who know them best, their beat writers – and, uh, there is some begging that goes into that because, uh, we rely on the, the goodness and graciousness of all the beat writers who are willing to share their time with us. So we can just pound them with asking them, like, to just project players' fantasy hockey point totals and, like, forget about everything else they know or use everything else they know. But it's actually a really great opportunity because there's so much that we can work to project on the show with the numbers we have. But these beat writers know so much more about what is going on in the locker room and in the coach's mind and the players minds so like there's all these like intangibles and little pieces that we can try and piece together as things to keep in mind to process when we are just working straight up
0: with numbers to project where we think our players are going to land and their scoring next year yeah well when i meant full-on begging mode i didn't mean in terms of trying to beg them to give us the info we need i meant more like get Agree, get them to come on the show <laughs> like you know i'm sending all these like suck up tweets yeah. and messages i uh, messaged uh, aaron Portsline for our, from the columbus blue jackets he covers them does a great job on the athletic i tweeted at him a couple days ago because i couldn't find his email He his dms are off no response so uh you know we used to go to allison for the for the blue jackets and she always did a great job but now she's with seattle so I think we've got Seattle covered, but yeah, now we got to find a new uh, Columbus beat writer. Anyway, this is a little behind the scenes of what we're going through here, at keeping Carlson headquarters to try to get this uh, beat writer series going. Uh, but yeah, this episode is going to be a preview of that because Brian and I have decided, you know, there's only one week left in the season. For those of you still playing, obviously good luck. We wish you the best in your finals. I feel like there's not much more we can tell you at this point. You know, like, yeah, grab Maddie Beniers because Seattle plays four times next week and he's doing great. Uh, you know, uh, worry about your star players getting benched if the teams are already in the playoffs, right? It'd be like, you know, uh, Crosby and and Malkin probably won't play all of the Pittsburgh games. But at this point, I don't think we're going to be able to give you too much advice. You've made it to the finals, right? Hopefully you know what to do from here. Uh, So instead, Brian and I are going to start looking forward. And yeah, since we have this Beat Writer interview series coming up, we thought we'd give you guys like brian and i would go through each team coming up with what's the question we're most interested in getting the answer for for each of these beat writer interviews we're gonna do so we're just gonna go team by team and share with you the listener which are the things that are most on our mind going to the off season for each team and then obviously we'll discuss our own opinions while getting excited about hearing the real answers from the beat writers themselves uh, so that's the plan for today Uh, before we get into that of course let's quickly mention that keeping carlson is very proudly presented by dubberhockey.com as we have been all season for the past few seasons it's really cool to be able to say we're presented by the best fantasy hockey website in the world they just keep going articles every day i'm sure it'll be going all the way into the playoffs with your daily ramblings and fantasy impacts of everything going on plus the tools at frozen tools unbelievable like i could just message eric Douse whenever i want and like ask him for a feature (laughs) for on frozen tools and he usually does it like it's just such a great site i love it so yeah frozen tools dubber hockey it's the best but okay brian let's get into things here and yeah so what's the plan we've come up with our questions for each team i think you the idea is we're just going to alternate and were you telling me brian before that you want to like spin a wheel of teams and start on a random team do you have a a mechanism for that or should we ask in the chat for the people to to select which team we should start with or how do you want to do this
1: oh yeah so like we always whenever we're covering every team in the league we start with like Anaheim because they're at the start of the alphabetical order. And then we work our way down. And like, I get a little bored of that order sometimes. So I thought that maybe we could prep for every team, but not know our starting point. And, you know, starting uh, down the line at Winnipeg is that's a little too obvious. And we've actually done that at least once or twice. So I thought, why not the teams in the middle? We never get to start with the teams in the middle. So I do have a random NHL generator in front
0: of me shall shall i run it elon yeah let's also make this double as who we're predicting is going to win the cup if it turns out to be a playoff team let's do it okay
1: the uh, stanley cup champions in 2021 2022 and the team that starts this episode The episode <laughs> two equally is, well, important things it's actually really anticlimactic it's the boston bruins well, that's not anticlimactic i think it's a really good pick they're a strong we, team <laughs> yeah but we get to them third anyway if we're going alphabetical well
0: we can't change it now we have to stick with what your random generator gave us so let's go to boston uh who's gonna who's gonna do it also we were gonna alternate who throws the question out there should i do mine or do you want to do yours I I have one for Boston. Let's hear it. The, the, I, we had a really hard time, actually, on
1: communicating about exactly how to prep for this show, but Boston <laughs> is technically one of my teams. Sounds good. That I have, okay. So my question for Boston, so hopefully we'll get to talk to Fluto Shinzawa again, and uh, one thing I'd love to know from Boston is what the story is with their goaltending. Because last year, remember, they had Vladash and Swayman this time of year with, you know, two sort of uh, stalking around in the background being like the guy. But Swayman and Vladash were the ones who had to sort of hold the
0: Sorry, fort. Sorry, I got to stop you here. I, yeah. I'm, like, is that what it is? I, I never heard that. So I always thought it was Dan Vladar. This is another one of these R's is a ash type of things. This is Dan Vladash. Did you just make that <laughs> up? Or is this something you heard? uh (laughs) vladder
1: maybe someone was pulling my leg but he's from the czech republic it could be and when you when you end like there's a a famous ottawa senators defenseman stan neskash Mm -hmm. whose name was spelled n-e-c-k-a-r and so i i think it's kind of like the a the r at the end of a czech name can be like the k
0: at the beginning of a swedish name i mean it seems like a quite the swing if you don't know but uh, go for it. i have just never heard that. I've never said that before.
1: I know. We've always called him Dan Vladar and we haven't talked a lot. I'm going to go back to Vladar instead of getting too cute because at least everyone is sure who we're talking about in that case. But anyway, so he ended up going off to Calgary and in a trade and Boston was going with Swayman and then they signed Linus Allmark and I was like, oh, okay. So they're not ready to pass the torch to uh, to Swayman entirely. And Tukaresk tried to make that attempted comeback this season, didn't work. So it became just Allmark and Swayman, who seem to have a, a really nice, um, like dynamic as a tandem, right? Uh, their goalie hug or celebration situation. It, it looks nice. And I think that actually goes a long way for team morale when you see both goalies who should be competing for starts feeling very supportive of one another. But if you, Just like stop for a second and say, okay, well, what if Boston wants to give themselves the best chance of winning next year? Who are they going to go with? And a lot of these answers might come through playoff performances. But for me, the obvious choice has seemed like Jeremy Swayman uh, looks better. He hasn't looked great but he's looked better. He has 916 save percentage this year, and he's near his expected save percentage number. Meanwhile, Linus Olmark, he just finished year one of a four-year deal, and the raw save percentage actually looks pretty good compared to Jeremy Swayman, At 914 for Olmark versus Swayman's 916, but his quality start percentage has been 51%, and that 914 has come from some really strong play on the penalty kill. He was playing far below his expected five-on-five Fenwick save percentage, this is Linus Allmark. So to me, it looks like there's one obvious goalie, and Boston hasn't seemed to want to go with one obvious goalie. They seem to be happy to rotate back and forth, and I guess it's worked well enough for them this year. So my question for Fluto would be, is there any chance that Swayman can take the job from Allmark, or even vice versa. But assuming that this trend continues, does Boston value Swaymans play more? And if they do, will he get more starts
0: next year? Because having this Boston tandem hasn't been a really fun one. I mean... (laughs) I don't know for this ep- for the purposes of this episode, am I allowed to like disagree? Like, I I just feel like yeah, I get what you're saying. And I feel like I already know Sh- Pluto's answer. He's gonna be like, you know, they're both gonna be, gonna be given the opportunity next year, and whoever plays better will take the net. I don't. Uh, to me, I just wonder like what okay, he's gonna really say this
1: year. That hasn't been the case. Like, whoever plays better takes the net hasn't been the way it's worked. That's what I'm saying. Jeremy so. Swayman has played better. And he hasn't taken the
0: net. I know recently, uh, Almar went on a run before he got hurt. Uh, but anyway, whatever. Yeah. So we'll see. And I guess the playoffs, like you said, are going to tell us a lot. I'll just say I know that we're alternating here, and I don't want to like, spend too much time on Boston. The question I'm like, I just have to throw it out there that the question I'm the most interested here, what Fluto's going to say, is is this like line one, Jake DeBrusque thing going to okay. be a thing next year? Like I just feel yeah. like I'd be so curious. So after so many years of the perfection line, and then this, and then Jake DeBrusque was like asked for a trade, and but then now it seems like why would he want to be traded if he's actually going to be A line one player. That's what he's probably wanted this whole time. So that'll be the question I'm curious to hear if Fluto thinks that this is like a thing that's gonna stick or if it's gonna once again go back to pasta on line one next year.
1: Okay, actually, so that was the second question that I had prepared, and it probably is the more interesting one to answer. Like but I was looking at it from the lens of his pasternak and hall. Like, has that been a success on the second line to the point that it's gonna be permanent? Like, take Jake Debrusque out of the question because I feel like that's like instant death. To the question. It makes it so boring. Like I hear Jake DeBresque, my brain just shuts down (laughs) at this point. He's achieving Yori Lettera type sleepy status just because no matter where he is or what he's doing, I never actually care. And I'm overthinking that I should start caring. He's been in such good places so many times, never produced. So I would actually be looking at it more from it's the same question. But for me, it's even more like, is David Pasternak actually going to be on the quote unquote second line? And is that second line eventually going to become the first as Bergeron gets older and Marchand gets older too?
0: yeah well Bergeron needs to sign a contract for next year, right so that'll be that'll be another big question obviously yeah uh, well DeBrusque did have those. What was it, five games in a row with a goal? It was like six goals in five games. That was very exciting. But aside from that, yeah. Highlight of good. his career. He also actually had earlier on, in, at the end of February, he had that four-point game. That yeah He had two really amazing stretches this season, which is more than he's ever done before. Uh, but yeah, obviously it'll help for him to be... Like if he's a line one guy next year out of training camp, I might take him with like the last pick of the draft. But anyways, okay, let's go to Buffalo now. It's officially my turn to uh, give the question that I'll be most interested... To hear the answer from from whoever we interview with Buffalo, I don't even think we did a Buffalo interview last year. Uh, I'm thinking maybe we did th- not. I'm gonna reach out to uh, either Heather Engel or or John Vogel. I don't know if we should like, be including who I'm planning to reach out to, but obviously, uh, it, listeners, let us know as you listen to this episode. You could tweet at us if you have any specific beat writers, but maybe don't tag them. That might be awkward, right? Let us do the first reach out, but <laughs> maybe on Discord more. Like, tell us the patrons if there's anyone you're really excited to hear about from a specific team. But uh, Brian, should I give my Buffalo question here? Yeah, please do. So yeah, the question I'm most interested to hear about on the Sabres is like, was Jeff Skinner this good all along? And it's just that Ralph Kruger didn't know how to properly use him or just hated him and like Don Granado knows how to unlock Jeff Skinner? Or did he like change something this year? Because his past two seasons, like 22 and 32 point paces, like just a complete non-factor in fantasy and for the team in general. This year, he was back on the top line, top power play, currently sitting at 33 goals and 62 points in 78 games. Like, what? what? what the heck? Where did this come from? And I just want to know, did Skinner change or was it just the coaching change that unlocked Skinner's ability? That's what I'm going to be really curious to hear.
1: There were so many players in Buffalo who were bad last year and I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call them bad, but they're good this year. Like Jeff Skinner, for one, as you mentioned, Elon, Tage Thompson, is another we talked about him on our last patron cast which by the way if you sign up for a buck a month you'll get access to the whole thing uh kyle lakoposo casey mills satua uh, you're gonna say brian he wasn't bad last year i think he's better this year so we can at least agree on that like you know I, i'm even at the point where could the ghost of matt molson have found some success on this squad if he was still around so i have a very similar question to you elon i think that's really great how much of this team's success this season was coaching and how much of it is repeatable ralph Kruger, had a good reputation going into that Buffalo job. And he seemed to squander it entirely, entirely. He was known as like, sort of like a good people person, a great communicator. And by the end, he was just a grumpy old man who refused to play Jeff Skinner. And then Don Granado came in and smoothed everything out and made it all sound nice. So I I, uh, I really like, like, actually, Don Granado seems... Great. Like, I really like his press conferences. He seems like genuine and kind and friendly. In any case, I would love to know uh, the same thing as you, Elon. Like, why didn't Tage Thompson find success sooner? You know, watching him up close all season long from the start when he wasn't in the position he was by now. You know, has something changed over the course of the season or does something change before? Because we talked on the Patriot cast how Tage Thompson, I don't know what the heck happened with him. He was this low-grade prospect, uh, like a late first-rounder in St. Louis, which is not necessarily a great chance of panning out from the start, especially as a top-line player and who had had some opportunities, never made much of them. Suddenly, something has clicked. So I want to know exactly what clicked. I'm also curious to find out what Rasmus Dahlin's ceiling is. He's had a really uh, quietly fantastic finish to the season. Uh, over his last, like, 40 games or so, I think he has 30 points-ish. And he's on, uh, like, almost a 60-point pace. I guess answer the that back- for you, Brian.
0: It's high. Okay. His ceiling is very, very high. I think it's, like, 70-point ceiling if he ever, yeah. uh, you know.
1: So when's he going to get there is also something I'd be curious to hear. Right? Because he was minus 21 this year. He's playing 24 minutes a night, which is huge. Right? There's there's a lot of ice time, tons of power play responsibility, on a power play that suddenly at the start of the year would be like, Oh, there's nobody there. You have Victor Olofsson, but now it's like, yeah, you got Skinner, you got Tage Thompson, you've got Rasmus Dahlien and that's enough. And Dylan Cousins and Peyton Krebs on the come up too. So uh, yeah,
0: that's what I would wonder about Buffalo. Yeah. Alex Tuck we always loved him so yeah okay so Brian let's go to Calgary now it's your turn though I feel like you also took a Buffalo turn that's cool because I took a Boston turn but now we'll get back to our official alternating status Uh, okay Calgary Flames what do you got
1: Rasmus Anderson speaking of Rasmai I want to know what happened to Rasmus Anderson on January 18th since then he has 32 points in 45 games Twelve power play points in that span. That's a near sixty point pace for Rasmus Anderson. Uh, before that, uh, before get, picking up these twelve power play points in forty five games, Anderson went over two full months without a single power play point. Of course, he's beyond clicking now. Uh, and another way to frame this sudden surge and success of Rasmus Anderson is he's got twelve power play points in his last forty five games. He had twelve power play points in his previous 90 games before this stretch began and he was largely a power play quarterback in that time too so he's looked like a brand new player in a lot of ways since January and I want to know what happened
0: yeah I mean I guess like one answer could be just that like Calgary overall is just like exploding as a team like scoring a lot of goals like did you know that Johnny Gaudreau going into today is third in league scoring Goudreau has 111 points in 79 games. Hubert Doe is ahead of him with 114, and McDavid 116. So it's like kind of close. Like, Goudreau could theoretically win the scoring race. And like, Maddie Kachuk isn't too far behind. Lindholm's having an amazing season. So that'll be an interesting question from the Calgary beat writer. We're going to try to reach out to Haley Salvian, who we talked about about the Sens a couple of years ago, but now she's moved to Calgary. So that would be a great interview. And yeah, I'll be curious to know how much of it was, you know, Rasmus Anderson and how much of it is just like any defenseman running the power play was going to get a lot of points this year, you know, just because the team's been so amazing but okay here's my carolina question that i want to ask to uh we we had chip alexander on before i've reached out to another (laughs) carolina person over the years that's never responded but chip was a really good interview last time we talked to him so i'll I'll try to get him again i think but yeah my main question here is not about one of the top players it's kind of the opposite of your question about rasmus anderson it's like what happened to marty natchez Like last season he had 63 points. He was looking or paced for 63 points. He was looking like he was an up and coming superstar in the league, or maybe if not a superstar, like a really valuable fantasy player, at least like a 60 point player this year, he's been a a total dud, right? 37 points in 75 games. I'm curious to know is like Neichas just, did he not play as well? Did his role change? Like, I'm just curious to get a sense of what is management thinking about Chas, who was like a first round pick that was looking to be like this really solid guy for years to come. And this year, like he's ended the season in free agency in pretty much all my leagues.
1: For sure. It's very strange. Like we did not see, we were looking at the possibility. The preseason argument was, could chas get on the top power play? Not only did chas fail to get on the top power play this season, but he lost a minute of ice time total. Like that's mostly coming at five on five and was playing a lesser role. He was shooting a little less uh for the time he was on the ice, and uh like very little power play success. He had eleven power play points in fifty three games last season from the second unit, which was not sustainable but this year just four power play points in 76 games from NHS. So really a lot going very wrong for him. Also a career low shooting percentage of the three seasons he's played in the league. So I feel like there's a few things that happened here that we can use to describe why NHS didn't get back up to 63 points, but we don't have insight into why his deployment didn't like not only didn't improve, but it actually slid backwards. So I think finding out if coach was unhappy or, or if he took a step back and wasn't quite ready to, to jump up next year, will be Nate Hs age 24 season. That'll be a big one for him. So I'll be very interested to hear what the Carolina beat writer has to say about him going into that season on the other side of a player's career and wondering what's going to happen to them uh, in Chicago. I want to know about Patrick Kane. He's someone he actually chatted. We chatted about on the show a couple months ago when, Uh, His goal totals were not as good as they've ended up being. He was pacing for, I think, under 90 points when we spoke about him and his struggles. And we brought up how Patrick Kane, he paced for just 22 goals last season, which would have been, which was the lowest since his rookie campaign when he scored 21 goals in 2007, 2008, and really a a fair deal below most seasons that Patrick Kane has played since the lockout shortened 2012-13 season. And last year, Patrick Kane deserved just like only those 22 goals. To some extent, he had the lowest individual expected goals rates of his career. His shot rates were down too. this year. Patrick Kane has turned things around a little bit since we last spoke. And we're like wondering, could he even hit 90, let alone continue to be a hundred point paced player? Uh, Kane is now pacing for 28 goals. It's still a little low for him, but it's at least close to 30 uh, and is better than last year's 22. But under the hood, Kane is still kind of stuck. In a lower gear, the same way he was last year, we're seeing lower shot rates, uh, lower expected goals rates, and a lower shooting percentage for the second straight year, which sometimes we'd be like, that's bad luck. But I'd also look at Patrick Kane and say, hey, he's getting older, and it looks like his shots aren't quite as dangerous. So maybe that lower shooting percentage is actually here to stay. We've seen this happen before with aging players who just can't get to as dangerous areas as often as they once could. Now, Patrick Kane, like I said, is still on pace for a near 100 point pace this season. And that's because he's had a crazy power play point performance this year. 31 points already with the man advantage. That's uh, pacing for his second highest power play point total ever in his career. So without that, I'd actually be pretty concerned if he wasn't basically having the best power play season of his life. I don't think he'd be pacing for 100 points. So It's a tough question to ask because he is having such a successful year at the end of the day, but I'm seeing some signs under the hood and red flags that uh, I'm wondering, is it time to downgrade our expectations from Patrick Kane now that he's about to enter his age 34 season, or could we reasonably expect another century season for him for another year or two? And I feel like part of the answer is going to be like my follow up would be how do other players in the lineup impact Kane's future? You know, Jonathan Taves seems to be a shadow of his former self. Dylan Strome has been up and down. Tyler Johnson has not panned out the way Chicago hoped he would. And I want to know how all of that impacts Patrick Kane, because he is in a lot of leagues that value points, like straight up points and goals. He's a first round talent, maybe second round at the latest, at least going into this year before everybody became a 100 point player. But I want to know if he's still in that upper elite tier or if this is the time where we see enough red flags as time to downgrade him.
0: Right, yeah. Well, I think, like you said, I think a big part of that is who is his center, right? Because this year, like at the start of the year, it was, I think Kirby Dock got, got a shot, some players got a shot, but like Dylan Strome midway through the season, I think my question would be like related to that is like specifically Dylan Strome, right? Kind of like my Jeff Skinner question, right? Like all of a sudden, Dylan Strome midway through the season became line one, power play one center, and he's had this like insane season. You say he's been up and down. He basically has been down for a little bit and then up like to the skies, right? He only had three points in his first 14 games 44 points in his last 52 games since he's gotten on the top power play. it's a 69 point pace in that stretch uh so i feel like if dylan strome is actually this good and now if we could be confident that patrick kane has this like really good 70 point you know center playing with him but even strengthen on the power play that will obviously help because it seems like kirby dock is sort of not panned out the way we hoped he would so far but if dylan strome can step in and be like a really good top line center for him then obviously that'll help right
1: for sure. Right. And that's exactly part of the question. Can Dylan Strom step in and keep, you know, can he, is he good enough to prop up Patrick Kane who doesn't look like, I mean, of course he's not as strong as he once so was. We've talked about players being able to stay elite longer than they historically have, but I don't know that Patrick Kane, like two straight years, having a pretty pedestrian expected goals rate from a guy who's made a career of scoring 40 goals in a season, that really concerns me. So I I I would want to know how strong Dylan Strome could possibly be.
0: Yeah. I mean, because he's also going to be someone that potentially could be a steal in drafts next year. Because I'm sure a lot of people will not want to take him early because who knows, he could end up getting demoted or like benched like he was at times this season. Or he could be this like 70 point player. So Dylan Strom is yeah definitely someone I'm going to want to hear about. All right. So I guess it's my turn to do Colorado. I guess I got another one of these players who sort of has been a nobody for a long time. And then this year, like sort of changed the narrative completely. That's Valerie Chushkin. Like, I want to ask, like, what? Changed in valerie chuchkin's game for him to break out. Like he's been a near seventy-point pace player this season. He's been in the league a long time, right? He's had six seasons in his career. He was drafted tenth overall. He was a huge disappointment with Dallas. Remember, he ended up leaving for Russia for a bit. But like, since he's come back, you know, whatever. Last year, also in Colorado, nothing special. And then this year, all of a sudden, seventy-point player. So it's like, I yeah, the, the obvious question will just be like, where did this come from? Did anyone see it coming? Do we think he'll be able to do this again? So yeah, that that'll be my Colorado question. Which Last year, we talked to uh, Peter Ba, and it was great. Uh, By the way, Ben Burnett is going to be doing a lot of these beat writer interviews. I know Ben uh, interviewed Peter, so I'll be interested to hear that dynamic duo go again and talk about the abs.
1: I'll also throw it out there now if you have a question, too. Like, if you're listening to our questions, like, no, I have a better, deeper question. There's there's lots of room for questions, so you make sure to let us know. We'll probably also put a call out on our Discord server for our patrons to share what they want to know. But, Elon, the question that underpins this question about Natushkin is, like, whether he is still on the abs, right? By the time we even have this conversation with Peter Bow. So we'll see. I'm sure they'd love to keep him at 2.5 million. But with the season that has had, he's established himself as, uh, in, like when he signed this contract, uh, not this season, he signed it at the a start of ago, t- yeah. 2020, right? So after the COVID interrupted season, um, he started, and it, I mean, we've had a few COVID interrupted seasons, but when he signed it, he was like, uh, is he or isn't he an nhl or Like, we'll try him in the middle six. A lot of years in Dallas, failing to gain traction. This is now his third season in Colorado. His first two, he's pacing for 30, 35 points. This year, bumped up to a top six role. He's playing almost 19 minutes a night. Previously, aside from his rookie season in Dallas, Najushkin had never played more than 14 minutes a night. So this is a huge, huge increase in responsibility, also getting a substantial power play role, even though it's on the second unit. It still helped Nechushkin pick up uh, at least, you know, nine of his points uh, for the season. Uh, so Najushkin has done some amazing things. And I think he's finally showing the, the sort of panache and skill that we saw from him in his rookie season in Dallas that we haven't seen since. So it'll be really interesting to see what Nichushkin can get out on the open market at this point because uh, I don't think he's going to be a 2.5 million lotto ticket for any team this yeah, offseason.
0: Definitely not. No, Colorado is going to be interesting. I think we're going to have to wait for our Colorado beat writer interview. We're going to have to do that one last because they have so many questions marks like this that we're going to have to wait until at least the UFA season like kind of comes and goes. Like, you know, like Kadri is also a UFA. Nachushkin, also their goalies, right? Kemper, like what are they... I got, obviously the playoffs are going to determine a lot. Like if Kemper has his great playoffs, then maybe he'll earn himself like a big contract extension. Or maybe if he, you know, totally blows up, then maybe they decide to go for a different goalie next year. So yeah, Colorado is going to be an interesting team, both for the playoffs. Obviously, they're one of the heavy favorites to win. I guess them in Florida, I don't know. I guess you could throw out a few teams. Or Boston, since our random generator selected them. But uh, yeah, I think that there are going to be a very interesting team in, team in the offseason, just to see what they're going to end up doing with all these UFAs.
1: We've seen Tampa and Vegas have to deal with the cap crunches and like jettisoning players. And like you said, Elon, it'll be really like Colorado has a legit problem on their hands. So we'll see how they, how they choose to get through it. And if they sort of thin out their ranks and try and insert role players, same way we've seen past really great teams do in Chicago and LA. And we saw where that led them, you know, you might be able to buy one or two more years of contention, but then it's straight down. But Colorado still has enough young players to be wanting to push for another Try and keep their window open for another five to seven years, and if the top half of their lineup, like the Tampa recipe, is keep the top half of your lineup as strong as you can, then find those role players to come in and do the job. And I, we'll see, we'll see what Joe Sakic does after being basically laughed at as a GM for his first couple of years in the league. But ever since that Duchene trade turned
0: in Colorado's favor, no one's uh, no one's laughing at Joe now yeah well one nice thing for colorado is if they lose nichushkin you know that would be a bummer even if they lose kadri that would be huge but luckily for them they also have like we've talked about how like rich they are because not only do they have all these high-end players they also have these prospects coming up like alex newhook is only 21 years old he's supposed to be an up-and-coming star so maybe he can take over for one of those guys they just signed this guy ben mayers right who we talked about last episode who people are saying is going to be something so lucky for the abs they, they have some new elc guys that they'll be able to put into these roles if they're not able to keep like all their star players but yeah brian let's go to columbus now it's your turn uh i already see from your side of the notes that you have the wrong player that you want to ask about so i'll <laughs> i'll correct you afterwards but yeah interested to hear what you have to say about columbus
1: i don't know who you want to sort out more than oliver bjorkstrand who we we talked about this specifically through the show like we're going we were begging beat writers to To ask this question of Columbus coaching and management during the season when Oliver Bjorkstrand shot totals just went poof. They disappeared. And he's been so inconsistent this year. We've been scratching our heads about Oliver Bjorkstrand all season long, spent a lot of, a lot of breath on him when in a season where we expected him to really explode by finally adding top power play deployment with solid top six deployment, which ended up not being so solid. But that's what we were expecting. Uh, but this is a guy who started off really well, and then Bjorkstrand disappeared entirely for a couple months, barely shooting, which was so weird. This is like the first time in his career he stopped shooting. And, of course, he was certainly not scoring. But to put it in numbers, Bjorkstrand was shooting nearly four shots a game to start the year and then went to 25-game stretch, where Bjorkstrand averaged fewer than two shots per game. And there's been some feasts and some famine. Uh, lately, it's famine. Again, Bjorkstrand coming into today's action had just six shots in his last five games. It's rare to see a player put up consistent runs of five, four-shot games and like more than the occasional seven or eight-shot game. But then go completely silent for games at a time too. You don't see players sort of whiplash back and forth like this from zero and one shots to six to seven shots. So I wonder what's going on. What does the organization see for Bjorkstrand in the future? Why did those low shooting streaks happen? Was he injured? Was it coaching direction? Was he not able, like one of my theories through the season was he's not playing with a solid enough center that he has turned out to need to help balance the possession game and actually get opportunities. But even beyond that, the fact that he's still succeeded in having multiple four plus shot games means that that can't be the whole story. So I want to know the full story, which we haven't been able to figure out. Why has Oliver Bjorkstrand stopped shooting for large periods of time?
0: yeah well i remember going into the season in our interview last year with allison lucan she was like saying how bjorkstrom is probably their best player and you know i don't think that the next interview you know will say the same thing after how this season went but like the player i really want to ask about and i knew you wouldn't but it's like just someone because we've been like debating about this player since forever like back in the early days of keeping carlson boone jenner had a good season and then i made a bad prediction that he would I don't remember exactly how it went, but I said something about, like, how I thought he would be good again, and you were like, you don't think so, and then you were right, and then you were, like, continuously right as he continued to be a nobody year after year. And Then this season, out of nowhere, Boone Jenner turned into, like, a star again. He had a 61-point pace. In fantasy, he was unbelievable because he was filling all the categories, line one, power play one C. So I, I, again, kind of, like, similar to my question about Buffalo, like, you know, do we just blame Tortorella on wasting so many years of this, like, potential, like, top line, top power play capable player? like maybe under brad larson he finally knows how to make use of a boon jenner so that'll also be a question i'll be interested to get the answer to for sure like is he actually good or, are we, or am i gonna make the mistake again now of expecting boon jenner to repeat and for him to go back to being a nobody
1: as the repeated Boone Jenner non-believer, I, I think I switched to believer pretty early on this season, seeing what he'd done with that 1C deployment that he was getting and playing with Line a and Voracek who were clicking together. But this has definitely been the heaviest role that Boone Jenner has played in his entire career. And when I talked about Oliver Bjorkstrand not having a center to steady him that he needed, Boone Jenner would have been that centerman for him and has been in the past. He's that one, I think the one reliable two-way centerman in Columbus. So he's done a fantastic job. His on ice shooting percentage this year has been higher than any other year, but that's just because... He's playing on the top line rather than the third line. And the third line in Columbus has not been a pretty place to play. And Boone Jenner, I don't think, has ever really been asked to score a whole lot of goals with his team while he's on the ice. So Elon, I think that's a really great question to try and dive in and see. Like, I want to know more about Oliver Bjorkstrand because I feel like I understand where Boone Jenner is at now. Like, I can get that. I've adjusted to it. I still have so many questions about Bjorkstrand and his future, but I totally understand why you thought I asked about the wrong player in Columbus. (laughs) Who was the right player to ask about And when we eventually, hopefully, find a Dallas beat writer to interview?
0: Okay, yeah. I think I'll want to reach out to, like, Sad Yusuf, but uh, we'll see if uh, we can get him or we'll go to someone else. Also, again, like, if anyone knows Aaron Portsline. I tweeted at him. Or I'm waiting for the response there, but I don't know. Maybe this is a dumb thing to be doing in the episode, just like naming people. But I feel like it's almost, such a, it gets in my head. Like I go from being like this like grown adult that has like what I need and I don't need to ask people for things to all of a sudden be like, please, you know, please come on my show. But like I, I want, but they're so good. Like we're asking the best people. So obviously you have to uh, expect that you're not going to get all of them. Uh, but okay. So Dallas, actually, Brian, how about before we get to Dallas, we've gotten through the C's. That's always when we're going alphabetically through the teams, it's always a milestone when we get through all the C teams. So why don't we stop down here, take a quick break, uh, and then we'll come back fresh and ready to go for the rest of the alphabet. So we'll be back in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back, Brian, and let's go to the D's now. Let's go to Dallas. Here's my question that I'm going to want to ask our Dallas beat writer, and that's like, is Tyler sagan ever going to be given the opportunity to earn the like near 10 million dollars he's going to be hitting the cap with for the next five seasons? Like, I don't like. In other words, I like. I want to know: Is he the same player? But also, like, even if he is, maybe it won't matter in terms of his production because maybe Rick Bonus just doesn't like him like the other coaches did, or maybe he's changed since the injury. So I just want to get a, a general tyler sagan check i know brian we've talked about him before on the show and about how like his ice time is way down like he's been like not a consistent top power play guy like sometimes he's there sometimes he's not at the end of the day he's got 46 points in 78 games on the season which is fine but not something you expect from a 10 million dollar player that contract still has a lot of years left so i'm going to want to just get a sense of how people are feeling about tyler sagan now that he's had a full season back after all those injuries
1: for sure, I, like he's still only on a fifty-point pace and shooting, taking fewer than three shots per game, which is not ideal. But he is seeing uh, like an okay chunk of power play time. He's sort of like a power play one B uh, at best. Like uh, after a couple runs on the top unit, uh, I don't know. Like I, I like I, if the question is whether he's going to be able to earn that ten million dollars or come close to it. I I think for me, it's not can he, it's do the stars want him to? Like what what could they do to get more out of Tyler Sagan? And if there is something they could do, why aren't they doing it? Because in his uh, 80-point seasons, give or take 10 points, he was playing 19, 20 minutes a night. This past season, he's playing fewer than 18 minutes a night. The one before that, he's playing 19 minutes a night. So uh, there's a direct correlation. Like they've taken down Tyler Sagan's role to the point that he can't do what he would normally do. Maybe the injury is part of it, and I think that's a good angle to take. But I just still want to know. It's the question I've had about a lot of players in Dallas. Like why? What's stopping them from trying to get more? Or is there a route to get more out of Tyler Sagan? Like he's not old. He's 30 years old. Uh, He'll be in his age 31 season next year. So I'm uh, I'm very curious to hear what Dallas's plans are. I'm sure they'd love to deal him, but they're not going to find a team that'll take it. And I, for, for any kind of salary uh, retention deal that Dallas will be willing to swallow. I feel like we'll take, um, instead of paying Tyler Sagan $5 million to play someone else, we'll pay him, 10 million dollars and get 50 points from him it's kind of like a lose-lose well i don't know yeah
0: the thing is we don't know right that's i guess why we'll ask right like if he was getting the same deployment as jason robertson would he be putting up similar points as jason robertson or is he like a decidedly worse player than jason robertson at this point you know so that's the kind of thing that we'll find out from this interview we do with the dallas stars beat writer but okay brian uh let's go to detroit What do you have for us here? What are you going to want to ask uh, Prashanth, who we ask, who we, he's been so nice and has given us an interview every year. So I assume we're going to get Prashanth again. What do you want to ask him?
1: Yeah, Prashanth is always like our lead-off batter too in the series. I feel like he started it off uh, a couple of years ago and he was on the, on the front end last year too. I want to ask Prashanth something that he pointed out on Twitter not long ago that we'd sort of been tracking, which is that Tyler Bertuzzi has had a tale of two seasons. He was a point per game player, 40 points in 39 games before the All-Star break. Since then, 18 points in 27 games after the all-star break. And we also talked about Tyler Bertuzzi on the show and how he had been bumped off the top line, playing on the second line with Robbie Fabry and Pius Suter. And while Bertuzzi seemed to be producing there, it, we pointed out on the show that it didn't seem sustainable. Like it, it seemed like some fake chemistry and that the top line definitely seemed like the better place for Tyler Bertuzzi to be. And uh, we didn't, believe that his second line production could could really sustain. And I think we were right by the time he ended up getting put back on to the top line with Lucas Raymond and Dylan Larkin. But I still wonder what exactly is going on with Tyler Bertuzzi. I think he's another player who the team might be looking to move on from. He's asked for a fresh start. Detroit didn't seem to really support him in his uh choices around around vaccination going into the season. So that's what I want to know, which Tyler Bertuzzi, classic keeping Carlson question. Which Tyler Bertuzzi is the real one? And then my other question for Prashant, just because it's been a theme the last two seasons, is that Dylan Larkin, he's always said Dylan Larkin is a good centerman, right? He's he could be a top line center, but I think ideally on a cup contending team, Dylan Larkin is a second line center. But now Dylan Larkin just put up 80 points and had a fantastic season from start to finish until like being very suddenly shut down for the year. But up until then, I, I just I'm curious to hear Prashanthas take uh, whether Dylan Larkin has made strides towards convincing him that he's now a bona fide number one centerman on a, on a serious contender with his performance this year.
0: Yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to get a sense of like, are we just going to give the credit to Lucas Raymond for like elevating Larkin or did Larkin do something himself? But okay, so let's go to Edmonton now. I think the question I'm going to be most interested to ask Alan Mitchell, if we get him again, we've had him low tide for the past couple of seasons. I'm going to want to ask like, what are the thoughts on Zach Hyman? We're one year into the seven-year contract he signed. Are the Oilers happy with their uh, 5.5 million per year purchase? Like he said, a pretty decent season, right? 25 goals, 51 points in 72 games. Going into today, that's a 58-point pay. So, yeah, I just gonna want to get a general vibe check. You know, it's just funny because the Leafs got uh, Bunting to I guess essentially like replace Zach Hyman right like Bunting's the one been playing with Matthews and Marner and he's had such a great season at like a fraction of the cost so I wonder if the Oilers might be thinking oh, maybe we should have just gotten Bunting or maybe they're really happy about it so I'll be curious guys and I guess also with that that's definitely going to be the kind of thing where let's see how they do in the playoffs right because if the Oilers make it through a couple of rounds for the first time in forever then I'm sure they'll be very happy with everything they did maybe like wrongly so like maybe they'll be like oh see getting Duncan Keith was the right move because look we finally got past a couple of rounds of the playoffs so we'll see what uh, low tide says there. But yeah, I'm curious to get a check on like all those off season moves and specifically Hyman.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Edmonton does make it past the first round of the playoffs, I don't think that automatically will justify the Duncan Keith. I think it might still be in spite of, or maybe he, honestly, I haven't been following, like Duncan Keith is not a relevant player to me. So it would be great to hear if the minds we trust in the Edmonton fan base and watch base have grown to like some of those offseason moves that we were somewhat critical of going into last season. Uh, Next team on the docket is Florida. And uh, how could we not ask about the guy that we've been asking about all season long in Sam Bennett? Uh, you've got Mister Je- Dr. Jekyll uh, in one hand and Mr. Hyde on the other. If I could remember which was the nice one and which was the evil one, I would make it more specific a reference. But there's a general look at how Sam Bennett has shown us two different people. This season point per game at home, 35 points in 35 games, more hits, more shots at home per game. Uh, And then on the road, uh, Sam Bennett scores just a point every three games on average, 12 points in 33 games and takes half as many shots, scores on half as many shots, too. So it's not just a counting thing, right? Like we've talked about how maybe the Florida scorekeeper is a little more generous with shots and hits, and attributing more to the home teams and maybe the away teams too. But Sam Bennett is also shooting half as successfully, 7.5% on the road compared to 14% at home. And that's just a big split. It seems too big and too consistent across the board in all his categories to seem like a coincidence. So that's what I want to know about Sam Bennett. And I also want to ask the general question of like, is this like an open secret that Florida does give their guys more shots and hits than other arenas in the league might offer them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if that would be something they would admit. Uh, Okay, so over in LA, I actually have a very similar question to my Edmonton question, but maybe this one is a little more dire, right? Is management regretting the contract they gave to Cal Peterson last year that's going to start next season? Three years, five million per year for a goalie that hasn't played... In April, yet yeah, I don't think uh, Jonathan Quick has played the last six games for LA. He's been amazing, helping LA like basically clinch the playoffs at this point. He's the clear starter going into the playoffs. We might not see Cal Peterson again, like for the rest of the season. Uh, but Peterson's been a. Pretty big bust this year, right? 8.95 save percentage in his 36 games. Maybe there was a couple times throughout the year when like he went on a small little run. But overall, just like clearly not someone the team can count on. As soon as they realized, oh, we might be a team that can make the playoffs, they were right away like, we need to get away from Cal and get to Jonathan Quick here. So I'll be very curious to know if like the team was like, if they could have a do-over, would they not sign Cal Peterson to this contract? Or are they still feeling like, yeah, he's our future goalie and you know we're not worried at all. So I'll be curious to see what the beat writer says about that.
1: It's kind of this cruel irony where, you know, the the Kings made their famous tweet after signing Jonathan Quick to that 10-year deal saying 10 more years of our goalie being better than yours. And that was after he helped sort of the Kings form that so- somewhat dynastic team. And ever since then, he's not been better than most goalies in the league. And they finally uh, invest in another goalie, Cal Peterson. And uh unfortunately that isn't working out, even though I still have hope that it will. So we'll see what the LAB writers say. Uh on to Minnesota, where this is a a conversation we had on our Discord server through the week, and it was about Kevin Fiala, who was just going nuts this season or this back half of the season. uh, Now he's up to 21 points in his last nine games. He's already the second leading scorer in Minnesota, even though like he's passed Matt Zuccarello, even though he basically was non-existent for the first half of the year. And so we had the question in our discourse, like, okay, he's done this three times now. Do we just draft Kevin Fiala and accept That he doesn't do anything in the first half and he's gonna show up in the second half. We don't need to worry about it. Or. Uh, do we actually hope like this time it's actually going to work all season long and of course that led to the conversation that Kevin Fiala started stepping up around the time Matt Boldy came along Then the counterpoint was like well Kevin Fiala usually steps out right around that point anyway so did Matt Boldy uh, help juice Fiala's numbers during that time or was it actually the other way around and Fiala was just getting going and was juicing Boldy's numbers so I want to know more about that relationship and dynamic between who who made who the better player. I did look at some of the with or without you charts on hockey viz. And it didn't seem like either guy really pulled the other in such a positive direction or negative or any direction. It was a a generally muted impact they seemed to have on one another. But of course there was chemistry that was undeniable. Uh, So I want to know, I want to unpack the the dynamic between Matt Boldy and Kevin Fiala. And I also want to ask, but from the beat writer's perspective, who watches Kevin Fiala come to work every single day, do they notice a difference in the second half of the season? Is there anything else that we're missing here that we can't see in his numbers that does change? Does Kevin Fiala look disengaged for the first bit of the season and then
0: like one day in December, you can see that switch is flipped in his eyes. Yeah, I'll be really interested to hear the answer to that as well. Like, I feel like I'm bought in, like, unless, you know, they answer otherwise. I feel like I'm ready to, like, bank on Fiala being, like, this great player all season long next year, though I've felt that before. (laughs) But, yeah, like, Boldy is, like, a, you know, highly touted prospect. He's come in to be even better than people expected. Like you said, it could just be that Fiala was going to explode with whoever he was playing with. And, like, Boldy and Freddie Gaudreau. We shouldn't, like, ignore him, right? He's also had this, great second half of the year, again, playing with Fiala and Boldy. So, yeah, I'll be interested. Also, we'll see in the playoffs, right? if this line continues to be fire through uh, Minnesota's playoff runs, so let's go to Montreal now. And here's another player who was like pretty disappointing. Well, so disappointing that he got sent to the minors for, to start the season and now has been amazing. And that's Cole Caulfield. I'll, I'm going to want to ask Arpon Basu if we could get him again. Uh, should we carry all that hype that we had for Cole Caulfield going into this season? Is it fair to just like now like shift that over and have that same hype for next season? Or do we have to be like, well, maybe we need to learn a lesson from the fact that Caulfield let us down because he you know, like I said, did nothing at the start. One goal and eight points in his first 29 games got sent to the minors, but then Marty St. Louis took over. We all know the story, right? 19 goals and 32 points in the last 35 games for Caulfield going into today. So he's been a completely different player and you know, Marty St. Louis, I assume is going to still be the coach next year. I think it's almost a guarantee. So yeah, I'm just curious to know if could we be confident that this is a superstar, the superstar we were hoping he would be going into this year and like, is it for real? now? I think the answer is going to be yes, but uh, you know it'll be fun to get the real answer from the beat writer
1: i think the answer will also be yes and i'd also like to hear how many other halves can we rely on now that we think we can rely on caulfield we think we can rely on suzuki but no one else has really stepped up on that top line as a third piece i can consistently produce so that would be uh, my follow-up question to that and i uh, our pun has been a great interview in the past so i hope we can get him again uh, over in nashville who I don't think we've successfully ever gotten a Nashville beat writer on 32 beats. So here's hoping we'll send out some good vibes about it. Um, but we've never really gotten to dig deep in the past. The question would always be like, what is wrong with this power play? It's just not working. And that's been the story of Nashville the last several years. No player except Roman Yosi can produce... And Roman Yossi somehow like superhumanly does it without big power or he puts up big power play numbers on power plays that are broken, but no one else does. Matt Duchesne, Mikhail Granlund, Philip Forsberg even. And this year they're all coming up in spades. Uh, everything is working out for Nashville, both at five on five and on the power play. So I want to know what changed and can we expect it to hold? Like, can we put that broken Nashville power play of the past in the past? Can it stay there? And then my next question would be, uh, Nashville came up with three young players who earned bigger roles this season. Actually, Ellie Tolvanen, his role actually seemed to decline through multiple parts of the season. But between Philip Tomasino, who had 30 points, Tanner Janot had 41 points, Ellie Tolvanen, who had 22 points, which of these young players who they all seem... Like they have fancy relevant potential, especially as you know, who was fancy relevant all most of the season, which one of these guys is most likely to outdo themselves next year? And who's the biggest part of the Predators plan going forward that we can look to as being somebody who's going to get a nice bump in deployment next year, new opportunities, and who might surprise us by breaking the mold uh, that they set for themselves this year, whether it was good or bad.
0: Yeah, I know that if we had Victor Nuno from Fantasy Hockey Life on, he's going to be high on Tomasino because he was really high on Tomasino going into this year. So that's my hunch as to where the answer will be, though, you know, like he scored so many goals this year, like probably in an unsustainable way. But yeah, it's it's cool. And like, Nashville, you're right, this power play really unlocked uh, some players. Like how about Matt Duchesne also going from being a nobody for the kind of a, like Jeff Skinner, right? It's kind of almost the same question. Like he signed a big contract. Then he went to do nothing in his first year at Nashville or especially his second year Nashville was especially quiet Uh, he was in free agency in all my leagues and now this year like greater than point per game so how does that happen you know I'll want to know like was it like a coaching difference did Matt Duchesne just like show up as a better player this year so yeah that'll that'll be a fun interview if if we could ever get a Nashville beat writer we'll try our best Uh, let's go to New Jersey I guess like the one I'm okay so like there's the obvious question right like i just want to talk about jack hughes and get a sense of like is he like a lock is he like a lock to be a point per game player next year the answer is probably yes but it'll be fun to talk about like he had 56 points in 49 games this campaign and that was like even higher like you know he didn't even start that hot he's like before that injury he was like doing even much better than that uh so probably that'll be a fun question to ask even though we all know what the answer is going to be i'll be really surprised like i don't know maybe jack hughes is more like a 70 point player I'd, i'd be very surprised to hear that answer uh maybe the more interesting question will be the goaltending, right? Like for the past two seasons, they've brought in the UFA who was supposed to split time with Blackwood. A couple of seasons ago, they brought in Crawford and he retired before the season started. Uh, then they brought in Jonathan Bernier this year. And did he even play? I'm not sure. Like obviously he didn't play much and he's like, I think retired or... He
1: was great to start the season. He had a couple of really good starts, but then he was really inconsistent. And then yeah, on the shelf to the point that we have no idea if and when he's going to play again.
0: Yeah. And then Mackenzie Blackwood also has been on the shelf all year. And we saw Nico Dawes at some point step up so that was interesting but Blackwood's actually actually is interesting because he's going to return next week so we will finally get a couple games from Blackwood and then it'll be fun to yeah talk with the beat writer and find out is Blackwood like still part of the plan like is it like Blackwood and Dawes for next year with the hopes that one of them can like really take the job or are they going to do another big UFA signing and hope that third time's a charm and they actually are able to sign a UFA goalie who you know is able to play the season and not either retire or get injured catastrophically
1: That would be really nice. It's been a long time since New Jersey was able to rely on their goaltending. And it sounds like Blackwood is on the outs. And I think getting, digging into that a little bit and seeing if the org still wants to invest in him the way they seem to want to before. Uh, and if they don't, what the plan B or at this point, C or D might be. Then we'll go over to the Islanders where honestly, Elon, I, I, my, my big question about the Islanders is what the heck happened? There was so much struggle up and down the lineup. There wasn't a point this year where we didn't wonder about basically every single player on the aisles. Was it fatigue? Was it the weird schedule with their arena opening and COVID disruptions? Was it underperforming players who just didn't step up when they, to, to the level that they were expected to or that they could? Was it just bad luck? Uh, there were two bright spots on Long Island this year. There was Ilya Sorogan, who You know, my question for him would be like, has he earned the number one role? Are we guaranteed to see the crease alternate for the final year of Arlamov's contract? I feel like I know the answer, but I just would like their sense of, is it possible for Sorokin to get a number one workload in Long Island? I just want to know. And if the answer is no, that's great. I've heard it from the horse's mouth. And then my other question would be about the other bright spot in Long Island, which has been Noah Dobson, who's seeing five more minutes a night this season compared to last season, an increased power play role, increased shot rates. And I would just want to ask, has Dobson arrived? I mean, or sorry, he has arrived. That's not a question. But now that Dobson's arrived, is he here to stay? And can we expect the same next year? Or more or less. That's what I would want to know about Noah Dobson and his role. So Sorokin and Dobson both have seemed to have to share the spotlight just because of the system the Islanders play. But seeing as that the whole team seemed to have let the team down this season, except for those two, is it possible that the Islanders might decide to lean on their most dependable players just a little more often and then I'll throw in one more why did Matt Barzal stop shooting right we were or why did he stop getting ice time like we've commented several times over the last couple months ever since coming back from injury he's not seeing very much ice is he still hurt like is that the only thing to consider and in September he'll be healed and get back up to his normal playing time
0: Yeah, so we'll see. Like, Barzal's hot now, actually. Like, six points in his last seven games. So he's ending the season strong. But, yeah, it'll be interesting also just to find out, like, is this now for real that Barzal and Lee aren't friends anymore like it seems like Andres Lee and Brock Nelson now are the duo like like what's more likely that <laughs> Matt Barzal goes back to playing with Anders Lee or that Marshon goes back to playing with Pasternak you know like which because it seemed like a pretty solid set in stone duo of Barzal and Lee and yeah this year for the second half it hasn't been the case Barzal's been playing with Paul Mary and Parise and it doesn't seem like a place where you can be like a point per game player, like we at one point hoped Barzal could be. So yeah, that'll be interesting. By the way, I'm going to just like quickly go back to Carolina. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and then and then I forgot, is like the goaltending situation there is pretty dire right now, eh, Brian? Like it's not. I don't know if this this could be a beat writer question, just in that, in that, like, did they take too much of a risk? Like as we said at the start of the year, that Frederick Anderson and Antti Ranta could be a good tandem, or maybe maybe I'm giving ourselves too much credit. But like I, I was basically saying, like these are two very injury prone goalies. I wouldn't be surprised. if... If, like, Alex Lyon or, or whatever ends up getting a lot of play and actually it worked out pretty well for most of the season, right? Like, Anderson had this amazing year. Auntie Ronta, we talked about last week about how amazing he's been. And now, with Anderson injured, we were saying people should grab Ronta. Now, Ronta's injured. Uh, looks like Koch, Kochitkov and like Lafontaine are going to be their goalies potentially going into the playoffs, which is obviously not ideal. So yeah, it'll be interesting to just ask about the Canes. Like, uh, did they roll, you know, did they take a bit too much of a risk? Uh, and maybe should they have been a little more careful and actually gotten a goal? You know, because it's so hard to say, right? So it'll be a fun conversation, obviously, to have. But okay, let's go to the Rangers now. That's where we are next here in the alphabet. And yeah, I, just got, I want to ask about Lafreniere. Right? Like, uh, he's done okay this past week. Two goals and two assists in his last four games, but still, like, a super disappointing sophomore season. Only 29 points in 76 games. That's, like, very minuscule. That's not just, like, a, you know, a good player that's, like, working his way up. This isn't, like, Svechnikov's first year. This is, like, a, just a very disappointing second season for Lafreniere after a disappointing first season. And I just wonder if the Rangers are starting to, you know, alter their expectations or should we alter our expectations of what the ceiling is for Lafreniere? Like I assume he's not gonna be like, you know, a thirty-five point player, but like are we looking at maybe a ceiling of like sixty as opposed to like this like big, huge superstar that we were expecting? Like it would also be fun, probably this would be like an uh, awkward question to ask. I guess I wouldn't ask it, Brian, tell me if this would be too rude to ask the Rangers beat writer, but like to ask like, do you think if they could do have a do-over, would they take someone else <laughs> with that pick? Because there's like a lot of players this year that have... You know, gotten a chance to play from that draft, like Stutzla in Ottawa, Lundell in Florida has been so good. Dawson Mercer was picked at 18th. He's been like an impact player for New Jersey. Like, I'd be curious even to get, like, oh, Lucas Raymond, of course, right, uh, on Detroit. So I'd be interested also to get, like, a, you know, like a Victor to come on and give a ranking. Like, if someone was drafting a new dynasty league right now for, you know, you're going to draft your team, these are going to be the players you're going to have forever, I wonder, like, Lafreniere would rank in terms of, like, who you draft from that 2020 NHL draft. Cause then there's a bunch of other guys guys you know like byfield like sanderson in ottawa who hasn't played yet uh, holtz like there's a lot of players that i wonder if they've sort of already overtaken lafreniere and what we expect from them long term so that'll just be a really fun conversation to get a sense of what's been going wrong and if there's still light at the end of this tunnel
1: yeah i i see lafreniere still being that sort of late round flyer Next year in drafts that he was this year and it didn't pan out, but he's been a, had a super flat season on the whole, and it is I think a little uh, uncommon to look at a, such a recent draft and say, hey, if we were redrafting today, how different would it look? And uh, that number one pick for Lafreniere might not be in the same spot, and there's no clear. I mean, we'll see what happens to Ryan Strom in the off season, but there's no clear entry point for Lafreniere to get on that top power play unit either. Um, I know like we want to move on to Ottawa, but my quick question on the Rangers would be, uh, was there something from the eye test from someone who watched Chris Kreider play night in night out oh, yeah. that makes him, his performance more believable than I feel it has been just by looking mainly at his numbers. I have not seen a lot of Rangers hockey, but I have looked at like shot charts and I've followed different theories for why he's suddenly uh, a 50 goal player after never having more than 28 goals in a season and being like a a sort of inconsistent 55 point player his whole career now point per game led by those 51 goals and 26 on the power play. So I would just want the eye test perspective from the beat writer on what's changed in Crider's game or if anything's changed in Kreider's game to make us really think that there's a likelihood he can do this again next season. Now moving on to Ottawa, Uh, the first question I have, Elon, is actually the same one you have. You asked it to me on last week's show or the one before, which was, who's going to get the most points next season between Norris Stutzla and Batherson? Who's going to have the best? I feel like that's a tough question for beat writers because they don't have that fantasy perspective. So maybe the better question is, who's going to have the most opportunity to put up points next year? Uh, so I want to know. I had a hard time answering that question, so I'd like someone else to. Uh, but my question is going to be uh, for about Thomas Shabbat. We've mentioned his poor power play performance a few times over the course of the season. Somebody who drafted him thinking, yeah, I've got the top power play quarterback on Ottawa that has a power play led by Brady Kachuk and... Has had some talent that's emerged like this year we would have been excited, oh and Josh Norris and Drake Batherson now that means something It means more now than it did at the start of the year. However, uh, Shabbat has not been able to take advantage of it. He has just forty five power play points in his last two hundred and forty six games that's the equivalent of about three NHL seasons, so about fifteen power play points a year in eighty two games, and the last three years it's actually been lower. Because four years ago, Shabbat started off really well on the power play. uh, Crazy low point production for a power play one guy. Uh, This is what we would expect a power play two forward to be doing, not a power play one defenseman. So does this mean that Thomas Shabbat is not succeeding As a top power play quarterback, is he at any danger of being replaced? It sends looking for more production from that place. And who are the candidates? You've got Eric Brandstrom in the picture. You've got Jake Sanderson entering the picture. Or maybe nothing's wrong with this. And Thomas Shabbat plays his role well on the power play. It's just not a role that's tied closely to production. And we shouldn't expect more from him going forward. But the power play, Ottawa is happy with what it looks like with Shabbat there. And we should just never really expect him to have more than 13 to 15 power play points in a season.
0: Yeah, that'll be a really fun conversation for sure. Yeah, with those other guys, like you said, like are the Sens gonna have maybe like four seventy plus point players next year, right? Like maybe all of Kachuk, Norris, Struchlin, and Batherson could all break seventy, and it's like who cares like who's the best? Like they'll all be awesome. And yeah, but with Shabbat, yeah, it might just be a case where that power play one defenseman just doesn't get as many points. I guess a bonus question that I'll just throw out for Ottawa is like, how confident should we be? that like Anton Forsberg is going to be the starting goalie next year and play a bunch of games. i like, just want to get a sense of like, I assume it's going to be Forsberg and Gustafsson next year. I guess Matt Murray's still around. We'll have to yeah. See. How could you forget about Matt Murray? Uh,
1: we talked last week yeah. or was on the patron cast about how he's actually been good. Like Matt Murray but has been the better, the better goalie. We do know he's going to, but be it's going to limit. But... We, yeah, but it's, he's probably still going to start the season as the number one and be the number one for whatever four game stretches he's healthy for, which means it's going to be pretty hard for Forsberg to run away with the job. But I guess the question is, is if Murray gets injured, does Forsberg get straight up number one status?
0: Well, don't forget also they did like extend Forsberg. I wonder if like, if they know that Murray's going to get injured anyways, why not? And if they're actually trying to win next season, why not just start with the goalie that you're planning on leaning on for the year and start on like make Murray the backup. And then, you know, like, I feel like almost that would be the better way to go, but that'll be fun. That'll be the conversation we'll have with uh, whoever we get. Do we have an Ottawa person? Ian Mendez. Maybe we used to talk to Haley and now she works for Calgary. We'll find someone.
1: We would love to get Ian Mendez. Maybe Haley. We, we, I don't know, it seemed to be a miscommunication last year. We we dropped the ball got dropped somewhere. We were so close, but maybe we'll we'll give it another run
0: this year. Yeah. All right, let's go to Philly. I guess my question again with goaltending, is this gonna be like will Carter Hart be a superstar goalie in the league? Like, would he already be a superstar goalie in the league if he played for a different team? Like how much, like he had a decent year. this year, right. 905 save percentage is actually higher. Like when I look to see what his save percentage was this season, I'm actually impressed that he hit 905 on this dumpster fire of a team. Like he's only 23 years old. The tweets I've been seeing out of Philly are that Carter Hart has been good and like, we should feel bad for him. So I just want to, yeah, get a sense of like, is he like a really good goalie in just a terrible situation? Like here, here's another way to ask the question. If Igor Shostyorkin, was on Philly this season I want to know what his save percentage would have been because like the Rangers aren't amazing it's just Jerkin still is like having this insane season but could even Igor uh, you know do well if he was on this Philly team because that would give a sense of like how much we should blame Carter Hart versus feel really bad for him
1: I think we should feel pretty bad for Carter Hart he's actually played I mean we can't say what Igor Shostyorkin would have done in Philly but we can say what the average NHL goalie would have done in Philly and it is what Carter Hart has done this season Carter Hart has just been dealt a really poor hand by the team he's playing for remember uh that Philly lost Couturier and Ryan Ellis essentially for the season and those we're not only two good players, but two of the more likely to be defensively responsible players on the team. And it's shown in their expected goals against numbers. Uh, Philly's the fifth worst team if you're ranking by expected goals against per 60 minutes at all strengths. So Carter Hart has done a good job of being a decent goalie on a really, really tire fire team uh there's a tweet i saw from one of my favorite philly followers philly follows on twitter uh nhl Flyera, like an a instead of the s you know like nhl flyers anyway uh and they pointed out that the most absurd season of nhl scoring in a long time we've talked about all these like players getting point per game 100 points so all the scoring in the nhl this year and the flyers have two players on the roster with more than 40 points that's it as there's no terrible, run support, there's game. no defense. There's, you no goalie. I I think even Igor Shishkarkin would not have a hope uh, picking up wins. Maybe he'd put up a slightly better save percentage because he is better than the average goalie, but uh, I don't think he'd really be helping that team a whole lot more than Carter Hart has. So shout out to Carter Hart for the work he's been doing. And maybe I mean I'd say he's someone that c- you could target. And drafts next year, but I just don't know, like I I would want to know from the Philly beat writer, like, can we hope for a turnaround or like, are we rebuilding now? And this is just how it's going to be for a couple years. Speaking of a team that has avoided rebuilding for some time now, Pittsburgh, uh, someone uh, we've had some great chats with Jesse Marshall over the years. And I just want to know, uh, like, my immediate thought was, why did Brian Rust get moved away from Sidney Crosby? Remember how mad we all were when that happened? And how, like, playing with Malkin, it wasn't clicking, and then Malkin got suspended. So Brian Rust... What was the thinking there in that one moment in time? I actually don't have any big questions about the team. I guess I'd ask, like, has Tristan Jari earned forgiveness from the fan base this year? Has he earned their trust and the organization's trust? Are the Penguins happy with how Ricard Raquel worked out? 13 points in 16 games as a Penguin so far. Is that something that could continue? And I'd also want uh, his take on Evan Rodriguez. Not even Pittsburgh specific. His contract is up. And I think, like Nichushkin. He's about to enter like a new tier of salary, maybe not the Natushkin tier, but a tier that at least respects that he could be a top six player somewhere in the league. And I just want to get Jesse's or whichever beat writer's uh, thoughts on whether Evan Rodriguez uh, has looked through the eye test as a legitimate top six player, because he certainly has looked like that in his numbers.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that as far as your Jari question, obviously it'll depend on how the playoffs go because uh, last year is where he really flamed out. So obviously we're not going to do any beat writer interviews with playoff teams until they've been eliminated. And yeah, Raquel will be an interesting one too. He's in UFA at the end of the year. So again, probably the answer to that will be how things go in the playoffs, right? But uh, he's playing on the top line. So he is going to have the opportunity to continue to put up points in Pittsburgh. Uh, Let's go now to San Jose where we'll hopefully get Shang Peng again like we have for the past couple of years. Always a fun interview. I'm just gonna to want to ask Shang, like, when can I be excited about the Sharks? Like, I want to be a Sharks fan. I have friends who are Sharks fan. Shout out to John. Uh, like I, you know, Eric Carlson's there, one of my favorite players. And it's like they just signed uh Tomash Hurdle to this extension, which kind of like indicates that they plan to be good. Like, you don't generally sign a player to a contract like this if you're rebuilding. And like they have reasons to be excited, right? Like they're gonna have injections next year of like William Eklund, who looked really good in that short stint, they've got Coughlin, who was a little shaky in his first couple of games, but he's like settled in really nicely. Right, five straight quality starts, so maybe he and Reimer can make like a above average tandem next year. I don't know what happens with Aiden Hill. I guess that'll also be a question. Also, there's Tomas Bordalo, who we talked about last week, who's only played four games so far, but that's looked good. I'm at a point now, like he's another guy that, by the way, that was drafted in that same draft as Lafreniere, and I feel like for next year at least, I'd probably rather take Bordalo than Lafreniere at least in a that's one year. That's crazy in a one year. League, like no for, way you oh well, Lafreniere is like a I'd, 30 point I'd make player. that bet with you now, okay? Let's do it. The has been getting like really good deployments so far and good power play time. Like, I just feel like he's getting already better deployment than Lafreniere. So, I guess obviously uh, we'll see what happens next year, but I'll make that bet with you. Write, write it down, someone write this down because I feel pretty okay about it. But yeah, I just want to know is this enough? Like, will these injections of these young players? You know, we've seen Timo Meyer step up. Like I don't know. Like I feel like they have pieces to potentially be a good team, but obviously it hasn't worked out yet. They were good for a stretch this year, uh, so I'll be curious to get Shang's opinion on like, can we be excited about the Sharks, or is that just a fool's errand and it'll just lead to disappointment again?
1: You get really excited about the Sharks. Like you were super excited about Eklund and Dallin all season long, even when, you know, and you had reason to be. And I'm just wondering if you're falling into the same. You do really, like maybe it's because of all your friends who are Sharks fans, but you like to get excited. You, you clearly do want to cheer for the Sharks. So I would love that take. I, I want you to drop that take about Bordelot versus Lafreniere.
0: By the way, uh, to be clear, I'm saying Bordelot over Lafreniere for next year. I'm not saying like I, in a no, dynasty league. Yeah, okay. I, I
1: understand you,
0: and I still think it's kind of wild. Well, I don't know. Lafreniere is probably not someone I'm going to draft next year in a one-year league. I'm not drafting him in Cupful, so yeah, it's not like such Rangers. a crazy. It's not like it's such a crazy hot take. I'm saying this free agent will be better than this free agent, right?
1: <laughs> no, but if there's somebody I want to take a chance on, it would be Lafreniere over
0: Bordelot. But hey, we'll see. We'll see. Speaking I think that's of, a. Uh, it's yeah. a Fun hot take. Speaking of young players, well, actually, I guess it's your turn. Let's go to Seattle and see if you have the same young player in mind.
1: Definitely, it's Maddie Baneiras, right? Five points in six games. Uh, you were wondering, Elon, in your notes, if he's the like already the front runner for the Calder next year. And uh, my question is: is Baneiras the odds-on favorite? to lead the team in scoring next season. I, I, I guess Jared McCann is probably the main competition, but no one else, you know, we thought maybe Jordan Eberly or Jaden Schwartz would really, I don't know, be able to find an extra level to their production. And they haven't, they've sort of stayed about where we'd expect them in that Boring 55 to 60 point range. It's nice, but we've talked about them all season long. Hey, this is happening with them. Should we change our ideas? And answer has been no all the way. So can Maddie Beneers break out of that 55, 60 point mold in Seattle and lead the team at such a young age. Uh, I would also want to know, I, I guess I'm dropping several questions for each team now, so you can stop me if I'm going on too long, but I want to know if Vince Dunn uh, has definitely earned the power play quarterback role. I think he has. Maybe that's a bad question. Then maybe this is just me wanting to shout out that Vince Dunn since taking over the top power play quarterback role is on a 23 power play point pace this season. He's got five power play points in 18 games. So sorry, he's not on that 23 power play point pace for uh, this whole year but just since he took over yeah. that role so has he earned it for sure is he gonna hold it
0: all i know is that after uh he got that role i streamed him in for my couple finals or semifinals, and he did nothing for me so i'm still yawn on vince dunn from my small sample of like i saw what he was doing i was like I, it seems like a good stream seattle had a good schedule and seattle has a good schedule next week so he might be a good suggestion for people still in their playoffs but he's definitely not someone i feel like i could rely on to give me anything consistent
1: yeah, it feels like maybe this is a forty-point player, right? Kind of like the Nick Letty sort of role, where yeah, you're the power play quarterback on a team where there's like it's not that consequential. So I, I just want to know exactly how, if he if he can be exciting uh, and if he's for sure going to be in that role. Uh, I think I'd really like to know sort of the organizational perspective on Grubauer. Like, what's the plan after this brutal season? For him, 890 save percentage, 34% quality starts. What happened being on the front lines there as a, as a beat writer watching things go night in, night out? Like this group hour had a 921 over the course of his career. That's 31 points higher than his save percentage this year and a 60% quality start percentage. That's twice the quality start percentage he's had this year. Grubauer has been god-awful at five-on-five, especially compared to his career history. So why did things go so wrong this year? Does Do the Kraken regret that move? Are there lessons to be learned? And then maybe zooming out to the bigger picture, what was the main miscalculation that led to this season being such a disappointing one in Seattle, where coming into the year, they're projected to finish at the top of their division, even conference, and be legit playoff team? Uh like what i i just want to know what happened what happened in seattle what did we all think or what did what was thought to go so so right that ended up going so so wrong maybe we're getting it wrong and this season was somehow a kind of relative success and the bar was set too high from the start that's what i want to know uh, and that's like a big organizational standpoint i know there's not a lot of fantasy relevance in there but there's not a lot of fantasy
0: relevance on the team so i think that's where i'd go with my question I think I want to be like George Costanza's dad and just be like, why did you not take Tarasenko? What are you thinking? And just like, just yell at the beat writer. Yell at Allison, even though it's not even her fault. Be like, why didn't you take him? He's so good. Oh, well. Uh, Speaking of Tarasenko, let's go to St. Louis, who I don't think we've ever had a beat writer interview with. So maybe we'll break that streak this year. And uh, I don't know, like, I have nothing nothing interesting to say here. That's all the questions I've been asking on the podcast and we've been discussing. You know, like, I'm obviously going to be like, You know, Rob Thomas, Tarasenko, Bucinavich, that line is insane. Like, are these all, like, for real numbers? Is Rob Thomas now, like, a point-per-game player that we can depend on? So there's going to be that conversation. There's also, obviously, going to be the Huso-Binnington conversation, uh, which, obviously, the playoffs will inform. It'll be interesting to see. I assume Huso's going to be the starter going into it. Obviously, if he falters, that would make for an interesting offseason. So... You know, those are the two big ones, right? Like that line, I guess I could be like, where, where did Ryan O'Reilly go? I think we already kind of know the answer that he's just not being asked to play. This, like, you know, they're, they're spreading the offense around. That's what we've discussed. But yeah, I don't really have anything new. Like l- regular listeners of Keeping Carlson already know what our like interested thoughts are in St. Louis, I think, unless you have something new, Brian. But yeah, those are the key ones for me. Rob Thomas and like Tarasenko and then the Huso Binnington situation.
1: That covers it. We spent a lot of time talking about St. Louis this year and all these players because they all sort of popped up. So it'll be good to sort of take the look back with
0: the beat writer and it'll be interesting to take a look forward fantasy wise. We talked about them on our patron cast too. Brian, I'm really, actually really excited to hear what you're going to have to say about Tampa right now. I was trying so hard to think of like what my question will be about Tampa and like I couldn't even think of anything. It's like the same players doing the same things every year, year in, year out. So I'm really glad that this random selection has landed on you coming up with your Tampa question. I'm ready for you to blow me away with this one.
1: I I don't have a good one. Like compared to St. Louis, a team we've talked so much about Tampa, we barely ever talk about because they basically are just as expected, right? You've got, as we talked about earlier in the show, that like increasingly heavy, uh, like front loaded lineup where, you know, okay, I'm expecting big points from Kucherov and Stamkos, pretty big points from Braden point, uh, big points from Hedman and then not much from everybody else, but to play their roles. Oh, yeah. And, and Andre Vasilevsky to start a million games and Brian Elliott to be so so when he starts. So like, there's not a lot of questions. I, I think what, uh, like, it's almost like, what's the point in having this Tampa Bay? And they just seem so predictable and it's, there's very transparent with their strategy and what they're trying to do and who's going to produce. Uh, they don't have unless I'm mistaken, someone please throw it out there, but it's not like they have any prospects jumping up the pipeline either, who are going to be taking on bigger roles that we need to keep an eye on. So I guess my only question would be, and I had to rack my brain for this, Anthony Sorelli and Mikhail Sergeyev. They've been complimentary players forever. Uh, is there room for them to t- take a step forward and break out? Or are they essentially stuck in that mold until you either Victor Hedman ages out for Sergachev or one of the other big names uh, uh, forward ages out for Sorelli to get more opportunity? That's it. Yeah, I might skip that And I one. think I know the answer to those. The is no.
0: If Ben does the interview, that might be the first episode of Keeping Carlson that I'm not on that I don't listen to. <laughs> I kid, I could. Of course I would listen. Okay, let's go to Toronto now. My turn. My question is, I think I already alluded to this earlier when I talked about Hyman. Like, is Michael Bunting as good as or better than Zach Hyman was like, are the Leafs just like this worked out so well. We have a replacement who is just as good or better. Bunting had, this is this a rookie season by the way, even though he's older, like 63 points in 79 games. Insane. Obviously a big part of that is playing with Matthews and Marner, but obviously he held his own and held that spot all season long. I'm just curious to like, how much credit do we give Kyle Dubas for like letting Hyman walk and bringing in bunting as a replacement? Like, do you think he foresaw this from the start and like, this was his master plan or do you think he just like, lo- like, you know, he, or he just like couldn't afford to sign Hyman and he got lucky with the bunting signing. Like, I'm just curious to know how much foresight went into this, like seemingly just like perfect replacement coming in for like a fraction of the cost.
1: It's a great question. How much credit should we give to Toronto for this seamless transition for, from Hyman to Bunting? Can anyone succeed there? Or is Bunting just like Hyman and they knew that coming in? Or is Bunting a different player but still super successful? I love that, Elon. How much credit can we give the Toronto front office? Um, then I guess the next team on the docket would be Vancouver. And I mean, I would... I, we've talked about Elias Pettersson, right? And how he was super cold to start the year. He's been amazing on the back half. And honestly, I think that's just what I would come to expect from Pettersson. So I think my question would be, what was going so wrong in the first half of the year? And are we convinced it's gone? And was it the full reason why players weren't producing? Like, I assume there was an issue with morale. Uh, There was talk about Pedersen's contract. So I I think I know the answer to this. I I don't have much interest. I see Pedersen has stepped up and has become this, you know, 90 to 100 point pace player again. So I'm not that concerned about him. The guy I am concerned more about is Brock Besser who's pacing for just 53 points this year. I'm looking at his numbers. I'm seeing, okay, five on five. He's got a six and a half percent on ice shooting percentage. That's low. His own shooting percentage is 7% at five on five. That's also low. And my question would be, is that the whole story for Brock Besser? Has he just been unlucky and we can expect him to get back to 65, 70 points next year. I mean, there's no more third line shenanigans with Brock Besser. That's good. There was a bit of a time where we were scared about that, but I just need some reassurance that Brock Besser is going to be as good as he always has been and that this has just been bad luck. Confirm. That would be my question.
0: Yeah, I uh, grabbed Besser in our Keep 8 League, Brian, as a free agent right at the end, like after I was eliminated. And I'm curious to know, like, is there any reason to consider him as a keeper or was he a free agent for a reason? So yeah, I'll definitely be interested to hear the answer to that question when we talk to hopefully Harman Dial. He's been great when we've talked about the Canucks with him over the past couple of years. Uh, so over in Vegas now, uh, my question is definitely going to be about Jack Eichel. Just like, how has he looked? Like, obviously, we, we, Vegas is going to have a very interesting final week. They can still... T- potentially make the playoffs i think they have a really critical game actually today against the sharks which is kind of fun like the sharks have something to play for today i think i saw in an interview that they were saying one of the players was saying that like this is like their biggest game of the year for a lot of them like to try to knock vegas out of the playoffs but yeah regardless uh and if they have playoffs we'll have more data but yeah just like jack eichel is he like the same superstar player as his pre-surgery self like overall the numbers aren't so exciting right 21 points in 30 games so far going into today that's only a 57 point pace obviously we've come to know and love eichel is like a point per game or higher player uh he's been taking a lot of shots he's averaging almost four shots per game so that's great so i'm just going to want to get you know the eye test answer of like how has eichel looked like is he like still this like huge superstar or do we need to start adjusting like what we think about him again it's been a small sample size so far that's why i want to ask i'm not saying i have a idea one way or the other just yet
1: I like the theme that basically the beat writers, we want the the eye test, we want to run their eye test on what they've seen. And I feel like if we frame the whole series as we want the eye test and ear test, which the ear test would be what do you hear on a day to day basis coming from the locker room coming from management, coming from the player, I feel like that's another big piece of the puzzle that we don't have. As uh, as hosts of a fantasy hockey podcast, so uh, I, I like that continued focus on the eye test because uh, I'm looking at Eichel's numbers and they look okay. I I, I want to do a little more digging when the time comes, but uh, there you go, good good target, Elon. I also want to know like if Vegas has learned any lessons from like where they've landed. Now it feels like Vegas uh, decided to take a couple big swings early on in their existence as a franchise that were really exciting and it worked out. And now every time, and this is related to Eichel, every time things are flagging or they just feel like they need to, they're going to take another big swing. And eventually these big swings are, or maybe they already have started biting the team in the butt. So I, I wonder if there's like needs to be a change in organizational philosophy because they were rewarded a couple times with it and they just keep going back to the well. Okay. Well, we'll just go take a big swing. Okay. We'll just go take a big swing and whether they're at all like deterred from
0: doing that later on. I mean, like to be fair, right? Like, uh, Pacioretty and Mark Stone have missed a big chunk of the season with injuries. So, I don't. If I was management, I'd be like, "Don't blame me." Like, I can't, you know, control injuries, right? Like, they set up a really good team, and then, you know, they just didn't have their full firepower. And I think that would be a reasonable excuse. We'll see how it shakes out next year. Shams is also bringing up in the chat that it'll be interesting to ask about the goaltending, right? Because Robin Leonard, at this point, that was actually crazy this past week. Hey, Brian, did you see how like one source was saying that Leonard's going to have season-ending surgery? Surgery. Then the coach was like, no, it was just a maintenance day and we expect him to play. And I think that Leonard's backing up today in this game against the Sharks. Thompson's going to be starting. So that was kind of wild. But yeah, in general, like Shams is saying, uh, the goaltending is kind of a question mark for me just because Logan Thompson looked really good when he played. And also Robin Leonard like still hasn't shown us that he can be a full season long starting goalie. Like this is another season where he struggled a bit. He struggled with injuries and he's always been like really great over these past few years, but he's been in tandems. He hasn't had to take on that workload. You know, like one of the things that makes Andre Vasilevsky like such a stud is not only his great numbers, but the fact that he plays almost all the games, like you said. So that'll be another good question to see. Like at this point, are we still expecting Leonard to be the starter or maybe next year? Do they just go straight into a tandem 50, 50 with Thompson and not even try to, burn him to the ground
1: i'll be honest that that was my that was my big question too but i figure it'll be sorted out by the time you get to talk to uh, our vegas beat writer and the truth will come will have come out hopefully or enough of it that we know what to anticipate i'm gonna stay in the crease. When we talk about Washington and what we want to know about them, uh, I saw a great quote from Peter Laviolette today saying that, you know, each goalie has a chance to take the net and we'll see who earns it going into the playoffs to be our playoff starter. It's an open competition. And I'm like, okay, this has been an 80 game open competition in Washington that no goalie has proven themselves capable of winning. Uh, So is this a need to address in the offseason? Because, hey, the Caps have limited time left with Alex Ovechkin. And I imagine this would also be a question, are they going to go as hard as possible for the rest of Ovechkin's career? How aggressive are they going to need to be to contend? And do they think they have one of their goaltenders of the future In this pair between Vanacek and Samsonov, are they ready to write them both off because of how neither one has been able to step up and take the job they've been trying to earn all season long?
0: And yeah again of course we'll have a playoffs to get a sense of like how those goalies do before we do this interview but man i'll also just specifically with vanacek like i want to ask like what the hell happened with that uh, expansion draft right like they gave him up then they got him back for a second like i wonder if that was the plan all along or if they uh you know we just got lucky that they realized eh, i guess we'll get him back maybe they were like going for some ufa goalie and couldn't get him so they're like oh, i guess let's just get vanacek back instead uh, but okay let's go to winnipeg now it's my turn to come up with a question i guess my question will be a similar theme to a few the other ones I've come up with earlier another player who went from doing nothing I guess like a Matt Duchesne right like like what changed with Pierre-Luc Dubois between last year and this year for him to go from a below half point per game player to someone who's up to 58 points in 77 games so far going into today I guess Winnipeg is uh finished beating Colorado today very impressive game I feel a little bit bad we had a question from Oscomo today asking if they should bench Hellebuck against the Avalanche. And I was like saying, I think I would play him, but obviously it's a scary start. And then Oskimo did bench him and it, it's too bad because Hellebuck actually had a really good game, I guess with Ransom and Out, the Avalanche aren't as scary. But, yeah, Dubois, oh, yeah, the reason I was going to look is to see what Dubois did, and he didn't get a point. So what are you going to do? But still, he's had a really good season after last year doing nothing. So I'm just curious to know, was this just, like, he's a better player, uh, or did the coach... Like, like, his ice time is, like, completely different, right? Last year, he was averaging 15 minutes average time on ice. This year, we're closer to 19 minutes. Like, a jump like that is, is, is extreme. And so, yeah, it'll just be a sense of, like, did Dubois become a better player, or is it, like, this new coach, you know, after Maurice left? But he was already doing pretty well, like, before Maurice left, so so yeah, I'll just want to get a sense of like what happened between last year and this year, and like which Pierre Dubois is the real version. You'd assume the one from this year is the real version, but obviously it'll be fun to get the final take from Murat, who's actually already agreed. We've got that one locked yes! in. We haven't picked a time yet, but we're going to get Murat Atash to talk about the Jets. Maybe we'll get him to bat leadoff for this uh, 32 Beats.
1: That'd be great. You know, it'll be fun. Like some, some of these guys have been with us from the start of the 32 Beats series, and if we continue it... And they get to move later. Their interview moves later and later into the offseason because their teams go deeper, like Murad and Harmon and Prashant. Like we talked to those guys early on uh, every season. So hopefully that changes for them, but not for us. We love starting with them. Okay. Anaheim. We're going back to the start of the alphabet now to the two teams that preceded Boston in the alphabet. This really did not work, but maybe at least it was fair, everyone. All right. Um, Anaheim. First off, I'm going to say don't hold your breath that we're going to get a beat writer to talk to on Anaheim. We have tried uh, every year we've done this and we've reached out to at least three or four different beat writers and failed to even get a response from any of them. So, hey, if you are an Anaheim beat writer or speak to them regularly, maybe you can look us up. I know, Prince, you're doing your best to help us out. Prince, one of our faithful listeners. Uh, But what I want to ask the Anaheim beat writer, which is like, it would be like a golden moment because we haven't been able to ask this the last two years, but the, the storyline has continued is what is going on with John Gibson through his first five seasons in the NHL? He was above 920 more often than not, never below a 914. Gibson posted a 60% quality start percentage. He was an elite goalie, made the case for best in the league from the 2015 16 season through to the 17 18 season. But in the last three years, So going back to 2019-20, Gibson's save percentages have now been 904, 903, and a 905 this year with a 46% quality start percentage over these last three years. Uh, Like one of the last three seasons, it was actually the worst one, the 903. Gibson was actually playing above his expected five-on-five numbers, but the other two have been below. And this current season is the worst of Gibson's career when you compare him to his expected Fenwick save percentage numbers, which is the way to say like, well, how would another goalie do in his skates? And another goalie would be doing much better than John Gibson is now at five on five. Gibson's going to be 29 years old next year. He's five more years left at six and a half million dollars. He's still getting all the starts down the stretch. So are we just going to do this again next year? Like where does the organization stand with John Gibson and vice versa? And I want to know what happened, like, between his elite days and his current days that have made him, well, for lack of a better word, suck. And whether we can expect (laughs) him to ever be able to return to form or if this is just the new John Gibson, maybe there's an injury or, like, something that happened we don't really know too much about. That's what I want to get from the Anaheim beat writer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know definitely he had a lot of injuries back in the day, like back when he was good. Like one problem with him was he kept on missing time every now and then. So I wonder if just just that added up and it's just kind of affected him overall and his abilities. So yeah, it'll be fun. If we ever get an Anaheim beat writer, it'll be fun to ask about Gibson. Also, I'll have another one of my typical like, where did this player come from with Troy Terry, right? Like he went from being a non-factor these past three seasons. And now this season, he's on a 73 point pace. You know, a lot of that coming from that amazing start, but he still kept it up for the most part. So it'll be fun to also talk about him. And then our last... Team here is Arizona, and the question I'm going to want to ask is uh, again a similar question: is what we saw from Clayton Keller for real? He had. 50 points in his final 46 games, over a point per game for that stretch before he got injured to end of the year for him. Uh, I'm curious to know what changed. Like, do we give a lot of credit to Nick Schmaltz? Was it like them together, like a Fiala Boldy you know, question similar to that? Or like, is it just Clayton Keller all of a sudden became a superstar? Because, you know, last couple of seasons, he was like a 50 ish point guy. Actually, for the last three seasons, he had that good rookie campaign, then kind of just became a boring old player. And it's not as if, oh, this year he got lucky and got to be surrounded by such amazing players. I was like, yeah, he had Nick Schmaltz, but I was like, it seems like Clayton Keller just took this huge step forward. Remember that stretch, Brian, for like a couple of weeks where like we were afraid of starting goalies against Arizona because they were scoring like eight or nine goals every game, And that was Clayton Keller, like driving it, like Keller and Schmaltz. So yeah, I just want to know, like, is he a superstar now or was this just like a weird aberration? I mean, it was a long aberration if it was one, but it still kind of came out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, and this is another eye test question where I think Keller has legitimately been better this year and I want to know what like what's the story behind that, what changed in his game. So that'll be, uh, like, I'm a believer and I think he can probably carry Nick Schmaltz to another successful season too. So I want to know if he's going to be given the chance to do it again next year, and I think he will. I know coaching had something to do with it, but I want to know more than nuts and bolts. You know, I might already be a believer and this might just be, like, to confirm that I'm right to believe, but sometimes it's nice to know exactly what's changed and what's happened. So we can sort of add this to our general knowledge of how players mature and evolve and actually get better as you know, it's good to always be able to explain and justify when a player changes levels like either for better or for worse. So picking up that info on Clayton
0: Keller would be great. Yeah, well, especially because a lot of people were being really hard on Chaika, you know, for signing him to that crazy contract. Like, he's only in year two of, I think it's a eight year deal or, yeah, eight year deal, $7.15 million per year. So, you know, after the last couple of years, it was looking like maybe they, this was a big mistake. And Keller's just like a 50 ish point guy and he's getting such huge stacks of money going into his pocket and, and against uh, Arizona's cap. So, obviously, after this season, it looks like maybe it's even a good contract. So, yeah, it'll be good to just talk about how are we feeling about this guy for like the still long, long-term future because he signed for a lot of years but okay brian we did it we went through every team i see boston is next uh your boring friend jake debrusque has an assist today so obviously he wanted to stick it to you for saying that he puts you to sleep uh but i don't think we're going to go back to boston because we've made it through every single team so now we are at the point of the show where we're done with our content but since it is the end of the season it is time to pay tribute to the teams that lost and congratulate the teams that won because this fantasy season is coming to an end. First of all, obviously, big thanks to the listeners, right? Everyone who sent in these tributes or like want us to celebrate their victories, you know, we really want to thank you for even sending that to us because that means that you care about us, we care about you, and we really thank you for listening to another season of episodes of Keeping Carlson. We hope you liked it. Uh, We're trying our best to put the best content out every single week. We'd love any feedback you want to give us, but yeah, we really appreciate our listeners. We just want to thank you for sticking with us all season and now brian i guess so i'm gonna queue up the uh, happy father's day track one last time i'd imagine and we have a list of teams that unfortunately were not able to pull it out the fact that you sent it to us today or for this week must mean you made it really far so you know congratulations to you on getting this far but alas all good things come to an end
1: there's also a bunch of teams that i think we missed earlier <laughs> so it's actually not true and um, we've heard from very few winners i can't imagine that has uh much to do with listening to our show like i, I would assume people listening to our show win
0: so if you won let us know We'd probably if you won here. you're just like you're done you're excited you don't need to you're be like, tweeting at us you unfollow us you're like i'm a winner i don't need these guys anymore <laughs> Uh, okay, the losers
1: are uh, Cowan's Cool Cats.
0: Team Bergelicious. I think it's Bergelicious. Oh, I like
1: Bergeron. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. is uh, Notable Team slash Not Able Team.
0: <laughs> uh, Care Morin White Wolves. We've got a whole little uh, story here about what happened. But basically made it to the semis. Uh, threw away a bunch of fab on franco's which didn't work out team went on a losing streak i'm, I'm summarizing here but in the end they <laughs> lost that's the that's the end of the that's, story <laughs> that's the bottom line
1: that's why they're in this part of the show uh quit playing games with my reinhardt nice uh, nice team name lost in the cupful semis this is a few weeks ago like i said i'm uh i'm late to some of these okay. took dry second overall instead of matthews we'll see if uh they make a different choice given
0: the opportunity next year I guess for next week, we can talk about, like maybe the people, if you're behind, maybe next week you'll get all the winners that are, you're still behind on those. Right? Uh, I so hope so. I need winners. Them. We need some winners. But okay. More losers. Uh, Chaos Giraffe. Non-couple team. Uh, that's a shame. You had Montembeau. Markstrom. Oh yeah, Markstrom really fell apart there when people needed him most, including against, uh, for Mark, against me in the cupful Finals. Uh, Ettinger, yeah. Sometimes uh, goalies, man. Can't, you can't rely on the goalies sometimes. Too bad.
1: Can't win with them, can't win without them. Uh, two, uh, two teams for a uh, for long-time listener. Uh, Maddie, Les Jokers de Bas Canada, and Elon, the team you co-managed with him. High and dry. Yeah, See you later.
0: In, we lost in the finals. We tried our best. Okay. Team Lost the Game. That's the name of the team? Team Lost the Game? Okay, that it's hard to
1: tell if that's the name of the team or it's a sentencing that their team lost the game. Like, I'm not sure.
0: Okay, well, bye. Yeah. Sorry you lost. <laughs> uh,
1: two canes with a Z. there's another pretty. They lost by uh, three-tenths of a point Oof. in the semis. And uh, that was because they benched Braden Shen to play Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, which, w- which was the difference. Uh, I would have done the same thing. Mark's, I think Mark
0: Stone turned it around yet. He was doing nothing for we, like, the we Mets did
1: talk match. about how we wouldn't necessarily activate him just because he was healthy. He's and, pointless. Uh, oh, pointless. That's oh, gonna, uh, see how he does and he's only, he has one or fewer shots in three of his five games.
0: Oof. Well, yeah. Hopefully uh, he turns it on tonight and helps Vegas get to the playoffs. So he can uh, turn around the end of his season. Uh, but okay, sorry to uh, two canes, and also sorry to two brothers, who ended their dominant season with a close second place finish. But yeah, Eli- mm-hmm. both the Hughes brothers missing the start, losing. Ja- yeah, if you're depending on Hughes, that hurts, right? Like uh, Jack Hughes getting injured probably burned a lot of people.
1: Here's a famous loss: Felix Owls, uh, owned by Adam in our uh, uh, AKA our Cuckooful newsletter editor. So sorry, that's too bad. Spend right. more. Spend less time on the newsletter next year, I guess. But please don't. He won don't.
0: the league against me, so. Yeah, oh, okay. Fine. There you go. The shampoo mistake lost in the semis, and they are done with Dougie Hamilton.
1: <laughs> the Bad City Skeets won twelve in a row, and then got knocked out in the semifinals. Twelve weeks in a row.
0: I wonder. It's bad if- timing. I wonder with that big winning streak, you should have like not focused so much on winning those last couple of weeks and instead stocked up for the semis. And like maybe that was your problem. You went too hard because you wanted to keep that winning streak going. Mm. Maybe Myers remorse. <laughs> That's funny. That's a good one. Uh, ended the season first with 15% more points. The next highest, but got unlucky in the first round ended up winning the losers bracket for a fifth place finish. Right. So at least you ended with a somewhat win, but still a loss.
1: The Danbury Trashers, RIP. They uh, (laughs) they were 20 and 3 on 20 of 23 matchups through the year, eliminated in the semifinals with their fourth loss. That's a real bummer. Sorry.
0: Sorry. Uh, And then the Scooby Dubniks (laughs) Good one. Uh, Came in third. Good team names. Good team name. Good finish. Third place in in, uh, the Ice Cream Packing Elite 13 League. (laughs)
1: <laughs> what's uh? what happened to the ice cream packing elite 12 league disbanded that. some controversial trades went down
0: <laughs> or discussions about ice cream brands so brian is that it for the losers let's turn off this sad music if it's still going and do we have any i see only one winner in this list so i'm not going to turn w- on the happy music just for
1: this <laughs> we have one winner uh, do, 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 do. Which is another good team name. Wood Kachuk Kachuk won the money league on the back of Jordan Binnington. You won't see too many people saying that, although, uh, yeah, that's great. Way to go, Jordan Binnington, for winning a couple leagues. And I'm going to shout out my own winning team. Uh, I won a league so badly that I got paid, like, I I was I was awarded the prize today even with a week left in the season it's a season-long points league <laughs> so congrats to walk with Elias for crushing the competition it's a points only league second place is 90 points back third place is 230 points back what are you
0: talking you're just bragging about how well you did yeah, in some like homer league I, against a bunch I of people don't so, know what they're doing
1: I, they know what they're doing this some is, of
0: them <laughs> i did really well i had a really great draft good job yeah I feel it's like a little bit too much when the people, no offense to the person who was like 15% more points than the next highest. I feel like it's like, look, okay, yeah, you did well. You don't need to start telling me how many more points you had, Brian, than like the the second place team and the third place team.
1: Well, that's the, those are the losers saying I had so, I did so much better, but still lost. Well, I did so much better and won.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I gotta, I gotta brag about something. Congratulations. That's amazing. Did you win money in that one? Um... No. Okay. Too bad. All right. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Hopefully we've given you enough reason to consider continuing to subscribe to Keeping Carlson for our summer series of episodes coming. Brian and I will also be giving you regular episodes, including next week. We're going to do a playoff preview, talk about, uh, you know, the matchups, who we think is going to do well, maybe some sleepers on who we take in our playoff pools. Uh, If you're a patron of Keeping Carlson, like Brian said at the start, it's not too late, but it will be soon to sign up for the Keeping Carlson playoff pool so all the info is in the discord so definitely get in and register ASAP because I'm going to be setting up the leagues on fan tracks probably around Wednesday of this week right and so that for a quick reminder we're going to have a whole bunch of different leagues we're going to do slow drafts we're going to be drafting for just round one and then the top whatever in each league once we know the number of signups we'll be able to lock this down the top whatever will move forward to the next round where they'll have new drafts for every single round until we have a final winner at the end and that'll be the winner of the KKPP and I think we're still working on a prize for that, but we're going to come up with something good. I suggested to Brian and Kevin yesterday that maybe I should give up my uh, tier one spotting couple as the top prize, and I got shot down for that, so that's not going to be the top prize, even if uh, Nick DeStef wins again for the second year in a row, which would be a very impressive feat. But we'll try to come up with something really good. I know for second place... Uh, I have some random hockey books in my house that I'm ready to ship off to uh, hopefully come up with something better for first place. So sign up for the KKPP, the best playoff pool in existence, I think. The most fun one I've ever been in. Ever.
1: Yeah. And ever. Not just in current existence, but it's the best there is, the best there was, and probably the best there ever will be. The
0: best in the multiverse. Like in any conceivable universe, this is the best possible playoff pool you could play in.
1: It's the Brett Hart of playoff pools okay yeah
0: i knew we got it
1: no, I, that wasn't you're right i did not need to <laughs> hammer that home i just thought it was a funny way to frame it i wish i said it
0: earlier but yeah okay with that let's cue the outro music and brian why don't you go ahead and read us the credits All right, this episode
1: of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauberger Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Kevin, Tom, Derek, Andrea, Flash, David, Rob, Patty, and Tyler. Thank you so much for your extra support. Thank you to Shams Ben for keeping the amazing stream of fantasy news rolling over at gamedaytweets.com with Elon. Uh, you can follow the key accounts on Twitter at gamedaylines, at gamedaynews, NHL, and at gameday Also, while you're on Twitter, follow Ben and Lewis at shortchipskk and Dave Benton at NHLStreamScheme. Scheme. Thanks to brandonweeb.com for the logos. Thanks to Pat Roach for the outro music. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite prospects nbc sports edge and a little bit of yahoo
0: great job as always brian i had so much fun hearing your beat writer questions getting your takes on mine looking forward to talking playoffs next sunday
1: until then wow playoffs already well you know even though some teams are going to be excluded when we do get to the playoffs let's keep doing all we can to make sure that fantasy hockey is something that everybody can play